This is Dan McDermott, and you're watching the TV Writers Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. My name's Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, Episode 6, for Monday, November 15, 2010. This is our first episode in a little while, and I do want to apologize for that because I had a silly wrist injury, but my wrist is feeling a lot better, and so we're going to be rolling new episodes starting now. Today, I'm so excited to bring you an interview that I had with co-executive producer and writer for Human Target on Fox, Dan McDermott. You may remember that a few episodes ago, I had an interview with Matt Miller, who was a showrunner from that show, and so it's so exciting that we get to hear another perspective from Dan. Dan also actually wrote the feature Eagle Eye recently and was the creator of the show Angela's Eyes. So he gives a number of different perspectives about the TV and feature writing process and how you can balance all of them together. I'm sure you're going to love it. Make sure you do check out Human Target on Fox this Wednesday. Check your local listings to find out when and where you can see it. And I'm sure you're going to love it. As, uh, as Matt did discuss, there's a lot of exciting developments in season two. But for now, let's roll with the interview that I had with Dan McDermott. Enjoy. Well, my name is Greg Jones, and I'm here with writer and co-executive producer of Human Target on Fox, Dan McDermott. Dan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you, Greg? I'm doing great, and I really appreciate you taking the time today. Sure. And this is for Script Magazine, and so we're going to be talking about you as a writer a little bit more than Human Target. We will get to Human Target a little later. But uh, first of all, I want to find out uh, where you grew up, where, where you went to college, that kind of thing. Uh, well, I grew up outside of Washington, D.C. in Rockville, Maryland, and, uh, and then went to high school in Northern California when my family moved uh, uh, out west. And, uh, but I went to college at UCLA. Mm -hmm. um, I did my undergraduate there um, where I got a, um, a degree in uh, motion pictures and television, film school. And then I went to uh, AFI in the, in the screenwriting program after that. Okay. And so I, I guess um, it was before college you decided you wanted to be a writer, or or did you just sort of figure that out in your undergrad? Uh, I decided probably around the time I was 9 or 10 years old. Oh, I, wow. I, I knew at 9 or 10 years old that I wanted to work in the entertainment business. I sort of figured that out. And then... You know, as I got older and explored different, uh, you know, different disciplines and, you know, and the opportunities available and stuff, um, my plan was always to become a writer, uh, although I did get sidetracked for a couple of years after college, which I can talk about when, you, uh, when you're ready. Mm -hmm. um, oh, after, after AFI or between college and AFI? Uh, after AFI, I actually spent uh, 10 years as an executive working uh, in the, on the um, uh, television and cable movie side of the business and oh, okay. then uh, segued in 2002 to, to become a writer full-time. Okay. And, uh, and so which companies did you work for in that time? I worked for uh, the Fox Network from 1990 to 1995. Mm -hmm. um, and then I worked for uh, – I started DreamWorks Television in 1995. And worked there for uh, just about seven years. Left at the uh, beginning of two thousand and two. Oh, okay. Now you, um, your first IMDb credits are um, Angela's Eyes and also the feature Eagle Eye. Which which came first? Uh, well, in which came first in terms of what I wrote first or what uh, was produced first? Because I I wrote Eagle Eye first, but Angela. Well, actually, I wrote Eagle Eye and Angela's Eyes around the same time. Uh, 
And um, and then Angel's Eyes went into production pretty quickly, and uh, Eagle Eye took a couple more years. Oh, okay. And was that your your first script or, or your first two scripts outside of um, when you left in two thousand and two? No, I wrote it. What happened was uh, I wrote a, uh, a feature script called Selling Time, which I sold to Fox. Mm-hmm. And then, and while I was still an executive, it was sort of the thing I did while I was an executive, and then I left uh, after I sold that script and became a writer full time. Um, I, w- I had been uh, running DreamWorks Television, and so when I left, uh, I obviously had a good relationship with you know Jeffrey and Stephen and David and all mm-hmm. the feature executives and TV guys and stuff, and um, so. Uh, about a year after I left, I got a call from Adam Goodman, who was at that point uh, running um, development for uh, for the movie side of DreamWorks. And he said, you know, um, Stephen has this idea. Are you interested in coming in and hearing about it? And I said, sure. So sat down with him, with Adam first, and talked about the idea and then came up with an approach which ultimately became Eagle Eye and went in and pitched Stephen and talked to him about it and sold him, you know, on the, the approach that I had. And mm-hmm. then spent about a year and a half writing the script. Um, I mean, I did, I did obviously as, as anybody, you know, who writes in the movie side knows I did multiple drafts of the script over about a year and a half. Yeah. Uh, and then they subsequently brought on some other writers and, but the movie went into production probably about a year after that, about a year after I left. Yeah. So how, how I know uh, there's, this is obviously top of topic of contention in uh, feature writing, but, um, would you say that your draft made it for the most part to the screen or or uh, are you pretty happy with how the movie turned out yeah i mean i think that you know one of the realities of of the writing in the movie side of the business is you know they that's the that's the mo of all the studios you know mm-hmm. on multiple writers so you you have to sort of have a thick skin and just understand that when certainly when you're writing mainstream commercial blockbuster movies that that's that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. You're either going to be the first guy in the door and then get rewritten, or you may be a later guy in the door, a girl in the door, and be rewriting somebody else. Um, but yeah, I'm very happy with the movie. I mean, I got sole story credit, so I think that reflects the, the the idea that you know it is my story, my vision, the movie that I wanted to see, and uh, and primary screenwriting credit, you know. So, um, which I shared with some other writers who did a great job, by the way. I mean, mm-hmm. the other writers that you know are credited on the movie made valuable contributions uh and uh and uh, you know were um you know duly and appropriately noted so yeah oh, i lo- love the uh, film by the way great job oh, thank you thank yeah you. and now angela's eyes is a tv series and yeah. so you're doing that at the same kind of the same time how how is that working on the feature world and the tv world at the same time uh it was it was actually great i mean i love i'm i'm someone that enjoys working on multiple projects at once mm-hmm. um and, uh, and, you know, so for me, uh, I always have at least two or three, two or three things going on. And, um, uh, at the time, I'm not sure how much direct overlap there was between Eagle Eye and Angela's Eyes, but there's always overlap between anything I'm doing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think, I, you know, it's one of the things that I think as a, certainly as a screenwriter, I mean, in television, it's a little more focused and there's a, there's a little bit more of a, uh, sort of regimented and very specific um, track that things operate on. So, uh, you know, you, you can have a sense you can sell a, a pilot in, you know, in July or August, have to turn it in by Thanksgiving or first part of December, and you'll know by early January whether or not your pilot's getting picked up. You know? Wow. Um, yeah, so things move quickly. Um, the movie side of it, you know, you can spend – you, know, you can spend years writing on a, you know, a project that, I mean, my, you know, my, my project selling time, which I sold to Fox in, you know, at the end of 2001, 
um, they're still trying to figure out how to make that movie, you know, wow. nine years later. So, you know, and I've done, and I've, I've spent years, I've done multiple, I've probably done 20 or 30 drafts on that script. So I feel like, you know, uh, my advice is always, if you're someone who can, you know, work on multiple projects, you should. Um, mm. Some people, some people don't want to. I mean, certainly when you're doing a show, you know, like I'm doing now with Human Target, um, which is a, uh, it's much more time intensive. It's it's a little bit more difficult to work on other things because, mm. you know, uh, it's a it's a 12 hour day, you know, every day. So, so it's a little harder. Yeah. So so tell me about uh, with Angela's eyes. You created the series, and and you were also an executive producer. Were you the showrunner of the show? I was not the show. I mean, uh, no, I, I, I was an executive producer. I hired someone to come in and run it uh, full time because at the time I was writing um, the remake of The Omen that came out in uh, 2006. Mm-hmm. And so I was busy doing that. You know, I mean, it's like, as I said, you never know when these things are going to get ordered. And, the, yes. and I had uh, at the time the Angel's Eyes was ordered um, and it went right from script. It got a 13 episode order from Lifetime. And um and I was I was writing uh, the Omen and sort of flying back and forth to Prague where we were in production. So I needed wow. someone who could be full time on Angela's eyes and get that show up and on its feet. Um, and uh, so, but I, I was there a lot, you know. But I, I just wasn't there a hundred percent of the time. Oh, okay. And uh, now talk about somewhere around that time you you were commissioned to do a draft of Romancing the Stone. Yeah. Uh, that was about a year, well, about a year and a half ago. I I, uh, I was hired to do *Romance in the Stone*. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what what was that like? I love the original film. Uh, I love the original film too. And um, well, what happened was I had I got a call from my agent asking if I was interested uh, in um, in the project because uh, it had come up at Fox and John Davis, who's a producer that I've worked with on a number of uh, stuff uh, of other projects. Um, that they, that they were looking for a writer to uh, come up with a take on uh, uh, a remake for Romancing the Stone. And I, you know, as someone who loved the original film, um, I said I'd, I'd be thrilled to, you know, to go in and pitch my take on it. And they met with a number of writers. I, mean, I think they met with 20, you know, I, mean, I don't know what the specific number was, but there was a lot of them. And, mm-hmm. I, and it was a process. Me getting that job was a process that probably took three to four months at least. Wow. I mean, I probably had... I would guess uh, four or five meetings and, you know, two or three phone calls at least. Um, and, you know, my approach was that, you know, as with most remakes, uh, you know, I mean, there, there are some there are some scenarios where like, well, I guess like, for example, The Omen was a very literal remake of the mm-hmm. original David Seltzer script. I mean, I didn't get I didn't even get credit on that movie. And going into it, it was very clear. You know, one of the things that John Moore, who was the director in the studio and I had all said and agreed to is that we don't want to reinvent the wheel. We don't want to um, change this substantially. We just want mm-hmm. to update it, you know, which was, yeah. which I knew going in and was was stated would mean that I wouldn't receive uh, credit. And um, and yet I was I was thrilled to do it because I love the original movie. Romancing the Stone was a little bit different because uh, it required, um, I think, a sort of taking the you know the core idea and kind of reinventing it in a way mm-hmm. that made it relevant or makes it relevant for today's audiences yeah you know um and so that was the sort of hardest part because if you look at that movie the, the you know the, the the genius of the you know the original uh i think it was diane thomas uh script mm-hmm. um 
is that uh, it's a very simple idea that is infused with brilliant characters and brilliant writing. And so, you know, you're engaged the entire time, even though there's not a, there's not a whole lot of plot, you know, going on. You're so in love with those those two characters yeah. you know, that um, it, it makes it just a great ride. So the challenge, obviously, is how to create a contemporary story in a world where we have cell phones and satellites and, you know, it's, it's a little bit harder for someone to get lost in the same way that Joan Wilder got lost in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet also to, you know, so to have a, a contemporary story that would resonate and feel real and fun and yet also to retain really compelling, you know, characters and, and execute, you know, the, 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 the drama of that experience in a, in a really compelling way. Mm-hmm. So uh, it seems like you've done a lot of, I mean, in Angela's eyes, it was a FBI story and, and then Eagle Eye is this big brother kind of thing. And is that kind of your, your interest, these kind of action adventure spy kind of things? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I love, I just think, I mean, it, it's as much, a, a, it comes out of as much my interest in, um, the world as I see it and we, you know, and we live in today as anything, you know, mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, Eagle Eye was, was very much born out of a specific experience I had that really freaked me out. You oh, know? Okay. Um, and I can tell, I can tell you about it if you're, if you want to hear it. Uh, sure. Mean, yeah. 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 Well, I had just gotten, um, right around the time that I, that I, Adam Goodman had called me and said, Hey, are you interested in this idea? It's about a, a computer that, uh, becomes uh, sentient and develops its own sort of, you know, intelligence uh, and runs amok. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are you interested in the idea? And I said, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. Um, I, I thought, you know, initially I thought, well, about other uh, similar projects um, that had, you know, whether it's the movie The Net or other movies like that. And I thought, how do you make this really unique and different? And I had just gotten a new car mm-hmm. and um, and the uh, the 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 dealer had said to me, um, you know, as I, as I was leaving, as I was signing all the papers, he said, hey, make sure you register the SOS unit in the car. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. And so like, I hadn't thought about it. And about a week later, I was driving around and I thought, oh, I got to register that SOS unit. And it's a little button in the head, in the headboard of the car, you know, like, you know, how, like, uh-huh. uh, like an OnStar or something. Yeah, like an OnStar thing. So I, so I pushed the button, and then I heard ringing, and uh, which I thought was very unusual because there was no phone in the car. <laughs> um, and uh, and a guy comes on the phone and he says, "Hi, Mr. McDermott. This is Maurice from the Mercedes Central Service Unit." And I said, uh, "Hi, Maurice. How are you?" And he said, "I'm I'm great." You know, he said, "Are you calling to register your SOS unit?" And I said, "Yes, I am." And he said, "Okay, great. Let me just tell you that." Um, you know, if your airbag is ever deployed, we'll send emergency vehicles to, you know, your, your location immediately. Um, if your vehicle is ever stolen, call us as quickly as possible because we have a low jack device on the car and, uh, we can interact with local police force to help, you know, recover the vehicle as fast as possible. Um, and, you know, he ran through a couple other different things and he said, let me just make sure our GPS is, is functioning, uh, appropriately. I have you, um, driving on Hollywood Boulevard right now in Los Angeles about to turn onto Laurel Canyon Boulevard. <laughs> and, you know, which is exactly what I was doing. I was literally uh-huh. in the middle of the intersection with my left turn signal on. And I said, where are you right now? And he said, I'm in, uh, Muncie, Muncie, Indiana. Oh, and my I said, goodness. Are you serious? And he said, yeah. And I said, and you know exactly. And, and I suddenly realized that, you know, that what makes 
what makes Eagle Eye a totally unique story and an interesting and compelling story is something of our, you know, of of the day that we live in that couldn't be told, you know, 10 years ago mm-hmm. is the fact that we now live in a digital age where we can be tracked anywhere and everywhere we go. Mm-hmm. And the idea that like, you know, we, we live in a digital world and a wireless world. And if somebody could access the digital, you know, the mass of the digital world, you know, then they could track you wherever you are wow. uh, through your cell phone and through, you know, your car and through, uh, you know, you get into your house, you turn on your TV, you know, uh, and so, and that's the beauty of the, the, the computer in Eagle Eye is that it's, it's got the ability, the capability of, of tapping into that, you know, incredibly infinite database of, mm-hmm. you know, digital information that, um, that can identify anybody anywhere on the planet at any time, you know? Wow. And so, and that was when I thought like, wow, this could be a really interesting movie. Um, so, it's a long-winded way to get back to your original question, which is, am I interested in, you know, sort of spy stuff and, you know, action adventure? Absolutely. Um, but I, you know, I, I, I'm not interested in it as a sort of general area, but in a very specific way as it impacts our lives right now, like Angela's Eyes, which is really came out of um, my obsession with liars, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and how do you, and, you know, and I was reading, I read a couple articles on, you know, how, uh, surveillance experts uh, read people's behavior, you know, their their body language, their facial uh, expressions and their movements and stuff like that to try to determine who might be telling the truth and who might be telling a lie. Mm. And um, and one of the things that I thought was uh, really interesting um, was that uh, they they had done this research and they said that, you know, people who are really good at um, spotting liars are people that are sort of hypersensitive to uh, alterations and everything from tone of voice to facial expressions to body movements and things like that. And it's usually people that have experienced some sort of trauma as a young child because mm-hmm. it uh, it sort of um, heightens their sensibilities and their, and their awareness to uh, unusual behavior and activity around them. Hmm. And um, and that was when I created, the, you know, the character of Angela is a woman who um, at, uh, you know, was living sort of a typical suburban life. I said it in Rockville, Maryland, which is the town that I grew up in and um, where, you know, her mother uh, works for uh, an employment agency and her father is a, um, a computer executive. Uh, and she comes home one day to find the FBI and all sorts of authority services uh, raiding her parents' you know, house and arresting her mother and father. And what she comes to realize and discover is that uh, her parents aren't who they say they are. They're actually CIA operatives. Wow. And, um, and in fact, uh, the, they've been outed as uh, counteragents who have been spying for hostile governments against the United States. Wow. And so for Angela it caused her to question everything in her life up to that point. She's at that sort of critical age, you know, of of adolescence on the onset of adulthood. And suddenly she realized that my parents aren't who they say they are, that, you know, that trip we took to, uh, you know, to Florida when I was eight years old was actually not about taking us to Disney World, but about something that mom and dad had to do where they met with some individual to transfer some information. And so it sort of so caused her to kind of, reorient her perspective on the world that um that she developed this incredible uh antenna for people who are lying to her and and then as she grew up and into adulthood she it sort of in defiance against her parents became an fbi agent and ran a surveillance unit uh, um 
and used all the sort of skills that you know that she developed as a child to her benefit. Of course, which also wreaks havoc in her personal life because little white lies are the sort of social grease of relationships and worker, you know, uh, relationships and things like that. So mm-hmm. it's constantly causing her problems with boyfriends and friends and you know all that sort of stuff. Very, very cool. Yeah, so, but so that's how I like to go out. I mean, I love to take a character-based approach uh, into things, you know, uh, the sort of institutions, whether it's spying or, you know, action adventure, et cetera, that, um, uh, that you know, that are sort of all around us. Mm-hmm. So Human Target now seems like it would be right up your alley, but what was your first encounter with Human Target? Uh, well, I, de- I definitely watched – I probably watched just as a viewer in, in, the, in season one, I probably watched – three or four of the episodes. Um, and I certainly was intrigued. I loved the size and scope of the show. And mm-hmm. I felt like, um, you know, from a production standpoint, um, that the, the show is doing things that very few other shows on television uh, have been able to do ever. And I certainly hadn't, there's certainly no other show on television that was doing, you know, big action adventure in the same way that this show had. Mm-hmm. So I was very intrigued by it. Uh, and, um, and so that was my first sort of encounter with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and how did you get involved? Uh, tell me about that. Well, when the show was picked up for a second season, um, I uh, it was definitely on my radar, and it was at a time where I thought to myself, you know, I really would love to, you know, if there's a right show for me out there, I'd said to my agents, like, I I would be totally open to, um, you know, staffing on a show, and mm-hmm. and uh, because I think it's a for a writer, it's a it's a very very it's a great skill set to develop, you know, mm-hmm. because you have to come into work every day, at, you know, and by 10 a.m. you have to start being creative. You know, you have to start breaking a story or writing a script or you're doing post or you're rewriting or you're doing something, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's great for a, uh, for a writer's discipline. Um, and so um, so when the show got picked up, uh, I uh, arranged to, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to meet Matt Miller, who's our showrunner, and um, I had a conversation with him, told him what I loved about the show, and mm-hmm. heard his plans for, you know, how he wanted to continue to grow and evolve the show in season two, which I thought were all super smart. And, um, you know, and it was it was very quick. It was a week later I was working on the show. So. Great, great. Now this uh, podcast will be released on Monday, and, and the premiere, I think, is uh, it's Tuesday nights? Uh, Wednesday night at eight o'clock. Yeah, the seventeenth. Wednesday at eight o'clock. Yeah. yeah. Looking forward to that. It actually, actually, it's one of the only shows I I watch with my wife. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah. So um, so I guess that segues a little bit into, uh, tell me about the the room, the schedule in in Human Target. How is it different than? I guess you haven't been in in a lot of rooms. A, a little bit in Angela's Ashes, but. Uh, Typically, the way uh, certainly a one-hour drama works um, is uh, the room, you know, and I'd, I'd say most shows have rooms, but not all shows, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and it de- certainly depends upon um, the particular work ethic and ideology of whoever's running the show. Mm-hmm. You know, M- Matt Miller, our showrunner, uh, sees real value in the room, uh, and I think he's right. I think... Um, it works. It, it, it certainly contributes to a sense of, uh, uh, you know, teamwork and, um, you know, and everybody's sort of pulling together. But essentially a day works like this. You know, we all the room starts up around 10 a.m. So mm-hmm. everybody kind of rolls into work around, you know, 930, quarter to 10. Um, uh, we we meet and we discuss uh, at any given time, you know, uh, we'll be working on a specific episode. Like, for example, uh, right now we're breaking episode 14. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So uh, we've been working on it for about a week. We decided about a week ago what the specific episode was going to be about. You know, we came up with sort of a one-liner for, uh, you know, this particular episode. It's uh, Winston's nephew uh, shows up, and he's uh, he's got some, some minor trouble with a guy uh, who's sort of a bad guy. Um, and, uh, and Winston and Chance uh, uh, agree to help him out. Uh, and when they step into it and try to talk to the guy, they realize it's a much bigger problem than they uh, originally anticipated. And what we're kicking off is this idea of Winston um, dealing with a nephew who never really looked up to him that much, uh, who doesn't necessarily think he's, you know, um, as cool as Chance and, you know, what that means to him and how uh, it affects him over the course of the story. Mm-hmm. And and also how they, you know, how they operate, how our team operates a little bit differently when the protectee is somebody that is uh, of great emotional um, value to one of our leads. Um, so, anyway, so we uh, we show up when we start, uh, you know, that's the that's the idea. Um, we have been discussing, like, how to tell that story, where are the emotional points of it, where are the narrative points of it. Um, how do we tell a story that sort of is going to be big and fun and um, and sort of, you know, right in the wheelhouse of human target, yet also have emotional resonance, you know, so that our, it becomes about something that um, uh, something important to our characters that our that our, our viewers will sort of understand and value. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always try to deliver, you know, um, an appropriate balance of big action adventure fun, high drama, and, you know, emotional important stakes, uh, and, you know, and, and great character moments. So um, right now uh, we are about, I'd say we're on probably our last day. It's taken us about seven or eight days to break. Um, yeah, and when we say we break the episode, we break, we break down the episode into each act. There's a teaser in five acts in mm-hmm. every episode, and we'll go scene by scene. What's the teaser, you know, Teaser scene one, teaser scene two, what's the teaser out? And then we'll go through act one, act two. We're currently uh, just about done with act four, and then um, we'll be breaking act five today. Uh, and then when that's done, when we have the whole episode sort of arced out on the board, where you can go scene by scene, you can mm-hmm. see what everybody's doing and how it's all working out, then we uh, we transfer it off the board, and whoever's writing that particular episode will begin the outlining process. Okay. Um and uh, and that's something that um, that writer will peel off that he or she will work either in the office or from home, whatever is the most comfortable uh, place for them. And then um, the board will be wiped clean and we will start breaking episode 15. Mm-hmm. And so, so do, you, do you have to submit an outline to the network or is it just internal? Uh, no, we definitely have to submit an outline to the network. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, at a certain point, we usually submit about a 15 or 16 page outline to the network. Yeah. That um, has you know every scene laid out, uh, certain a certain amount of dialogue in it. You know the idea of an outline is you want to be able to turn in an outline to the network that they can give their notes on, so that when you write this, when you go to script, um, you're basically not hand, you're handing a network a document that doesn't have any surprises in it. Right. Like they're never going to say at the script like, oh, I didn't know that the end of Act Two was going to be like that. We have to go back and you know and 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 you know rewrite the whole episode. Um, because they've been uh, a part of the process every every step along the way. So they've because the, the the thing that the thing that really hurts a show most is when you get a, a, an episode thrown out at the outline or a script stage because mm-hmm. it reflects you know a, a lot of work and typically you know as everybody knows if you're trying to make whether it's 13 or 18 or 22 episodes a year you know you're you're you're, you're running you know at a full sprint trying to keep up uh, keep uh, material in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. 
So, t- so tell me a little bit about um, you're still writing features. You've got a number in development. Uh, how do you balance that with your work in the room now? I basically work all the time. You know, I mean, I'll get up, <laughs> I'll get up at uh, you know six o'clock in the morning. Like right now, I'm writing a pilot for the Stars Network. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I'll get up at six o'clock in the morning and I'll spend an hour or two on that. I'll come into, you know, to work here. I'll work all day. Uh, and, you know, I'll get home at seven or eight and, um, you know, I'll work on that project as well. I've got a movie that I'm writing, um, uh, with a director, uh, friend that, you know, we're just about finished on. You know, it's sort of like just work, work as much as you can whenever you can. <laughs> wow. Uh, and, and, you know, when, when you, when you're on a show like this, there's not a lot of balance. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and you've got a family too. Yes, I've got a nine and a half year old son. Wow. Yeah, yeah he keeps me busy as well. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. So, so uh, what advice do you have for somebody who's trying to break into either TV writing or feature writing? Well, first and foremost, I, I mean, I, I'd say write as much as you can uh, and never stop. You know, mm-hmm. um, I, I find that uh, one of the things that I've learned as a professional writer is. Um, not to take things personally when people criticize or give me notes on my work, um, to try to look at every all feedback I get um, as somehow somebody's reacting to something, you know. And I try to at least, even if I'm, even if I if I decide not to take somebody's notes or you know some some advice that I get, I certainly try to listen to it and understand where they're coming from, mm-hmm. so that um, my decisions are are based on a sort of rational, insightful, per, you know, uh, perspective as opposed to an emotional reaction. Mm-hmm. You know, he or she didn't like what I wrote, so therefore then anything they say doesn't matter, you know. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that as a professional writer, you know, working all the time, like you're just – you're always going to get notes. I mean I can I can hand – uh, you know, I can hand the script for Citizen Kane to, <laughs> you know – the barrister at my local Starbucks, and he'll tell me why it, you know, the 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 story, the A story doesn't work, you know, uh-huh. or whatever. And I think so. I feel like, on some level, um, you know, that's the thing that I find a lot of young writers they write a script and they finish it, and then they basically say like, that's it, you know, that's the script. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no, no, that's the part when that's the moment when I, you know, when you need to really dig in and start working. For me, by the way, I love to rewrite. That's my yeah. favorite thing. I mean, I write. I'll write a first draft as fast as I possibly can just so that I can get to the rewriting process. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I'd say, you know, my advice to, you know, young writers, just keep writing and, and keep putting your stuff out there and listen to everything everybody has to say and, you know, um, it never stop. I mean, that's the, that's the, the key. It's like, I mean, I, you know, like anybody, everybody in this business has tales they can tell about all the rejection they, you know, they received mm-hmm. along the way before they started getting positive feedback. Um, and there's a lot of it, you know, but, uh, the people who ultimately, you know, succeed are the people who just refuse to take, you know, no for an answer. Yeah. Are there, are there any books or other resources that have been helpful to you or that you would recommend? You know, I, I read, um, I've read probably, you know, 20 or 30 or 40 or 50, you know, books mm-hmm. on screenwriting and the business and everything. And I, I would say this, read them all, but don't. Don't become an uh, you know ens- enslaved to the methodology of any of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I always have fr- you know I've had a number of friends who talk about you know Sid Field says this and blah 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 says that. <laughs> you know, I feel like you know what? Look, er- for every um, 
for every person that's read one of those books and actually had some success, you know, writing a screenplay based on the principles of that book, there's been uh, other people who have ignored, rejected, and, uh, and you know, run in exactly the opposite direction and had just as much success, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, the thing about Hollywood is, you know, people people who who read scripts in this business, they read a lot of scripts. So if it's what they're looking for is an original voice, yeah. you know, an original idea with original execution and an original voice. And that's what you have to find more than anything. Yeah. But I, you know, but I always say to people, I mean, I haven't gone to two film schools. I, I felt like, you know, I heard every basic, every principle, uh, you know, there is. Um, but I would say to people, you know, read the books and then you know, and then forget them. Uh, <laughs> and whatever is sort of left subconsciously will work in your to your benefit. But there are no formulas to yeah. to writing a great screenplay. Cool. Now, uh, before we finish up, um, uh, IMDb lists a, f- a few projects. Uh, Charlie Chan's Selling Time. Now, Selling Time was something that you developed a long time ago, and it's still, there's still finding yeah. a way to make it. But uh, yeah, Soylent, yeah. Soylent Green was one that interested me. Um, yeah. I've, I've met Harry Harrison uh, before. Uh, oh wow! I really love uh, that uh, author. Um, yeah. And uh, and so, what can you tell me about that project? Uh, I love that script, and I love that project, and I remain hopeful that Warner Brothers is ultimately going to, uh, you know, to put that pr- film into production. Um, you know, it's it's based on the original uh, movie, um, and you know, and. Um, Although it's a it's a substantial departure, like w- what we did was, and I developed it. David Goyer was my producer on it when I mm-hmm. uh, when I developed it, which was extremely beneficial. Um, but you know, the 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 essential idea was uh, because everybody knows the end of that movie. You know, mm-hmm. it's so iconic. You know, yeah. um, we decided that we had to uh, we had to sort of be able to move beyond that. And what I became fascinated by. Is you know for those people that you know everybody knows the end of the movie is Soylent Green as people yeah. um, is the question of you know why is Soylent Green people what's mm-hmm. happening in the world that this is you know things have been reduced to this that we we have no that the, the 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 food chain has been completely depleted and uh, we're relying upon recycled you know um, you know human uh, nutrition for you know for food and that's what. So, so we compressed the original movie into the first 50 pages of uh, of the, this one, mm-hmm. and then the second half of the movie, I deal with all the questions and issues of like what happened, how do we get here, what do we do about it, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, and you know, it's been at Warner Brothers for you know, I mean, they they uh, it, the script was very positively reviewed, um, and uh, and then you know, there's there was a number of reasons that it didn't move forward. Uh, that had nothing to do with the script, but other projects and other filmmakers at the studio that had projects that, you know, whether it was Logan's Run or things like that, that mm-hmm. uh, Warners didn't want to, you know, didn't want to cross pollinate, et cetera. So, um, so it's been it's been sort of sitting there. But you know, I keep my fingers crossed that one day they're gonna they're gonna blow the dust off it and make it. Yeah, well, it should be a good one. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I don't want to take any more of your time. I'm really looking forward to uh, Human Target coming out this week. And uh, can't wait to see what's in store. Thanks, Gray. I appreciate it. And uh, I'll talk to you soon. Great. Thanks so much, Dan. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com. 
the leading source for scriptwriting information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Scriptwriting Software, the entertainment industry standard for scriptwriting worldwide.